A lot of people wonder what exactly is going on in the world when you have a pro-life priest from the, uh, you know, from here in the United States who's actually anti-abortion, pro-life, following all the positions that the Catholic Church has. And he is basically defrocked or basically suspended from, from celebrating Mass, from taking part in, in church activities uh, by a bishop who is essentially, you know, pro-freakazoid. You, you have these woke bishops who, you know, they, they want to be popular with a tiny segment of their congregation. You know, that, 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 that is essentially, if you read the Bible and you look it up and you look up the canon law, it basically says, no, you cannot support any group that harms children. Uh, it is basically against every tenet of the Catholic Church. But they make these recommendations to the Holy Father in the Vatican. Unfortunately, the Holy Father, uh, in this particular case, uh, you know, on matters of faith, yeah, you're supposed to be infallible, but you made a mistake on this one. And you made a mistake because this is something that is not backed up by the Bible. It's not backed up by, by the laws of the Church. It is something that is utterly and totally wrong and has been decided primarily because the Jesuits are on a, on a binge to basically try and save the church in Europe. Well, you know what? Europe's lost. And the reason it's lost is because of decisions like this. This is why people go away from the church and go elsewhere. You know, um, I'm over 50. I've been a Catholic my whole life. I will probably you know, remain a Catholic my entire life, but I'll probably attend other churches uh, regardless of, of my own personal political face views. Why? Because of decisions like this. Laura Ingram fills us in on what exactly happened. Here is uh, the story of this Catholic priest uh, and his suspension, or some say uh, the communications that, that have come forward that hinder his ability to keep his ministry of faith that is based on pro-life attitudes alive within the Catholic Church in the United States. They blame the Vatican, but the reality here is this is again the Archdiocese of New York and, and Brooklyn and all these other dioceses that are basically the reason why the Church is dying in many parts of the United States. I'm Mike of New York. Here's the latest. The Vatican said the decision to remove Frank Pavone was due to his blasphemous social media posts, which Pavone says is regarding a 2020 Twitter post in which he referred to supporters of this GD loser Biden and his morally corrupt America-hating, God-hating Democrat Party. Now, the shocking move on the part of the Pope is made all the more remarkable due to the allegations of sexual and financial deviancy from top Vatican officials who remain at the Vatican totally unpunished. Pavone remains defiant, however, still calling himself father and continuing to celebrate Mass since the Vatican's excommunication or communication uh, about this. Joining me now, Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Uh, father Pavone, it's good to see you tonight. I know it's a very difficult time for you. You said you learned this from a news agency. Have you been formally no, notified by the Vatican? That's right. Uh, Laura, this is actually the culmination of 21 years of abuse by church authorities to me and to my ministry, despite the fact that we help the Vatican. 
We helped to run the, 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 uh, some of the operations out of the, the Pope's uh, mission to the United Nations. We helped the Secretariat of State with international pro-life issues. We run the largest ministry for healing after abortion, uh, for which Pope Francis has personally encouraged me to keep going on it. We do all kinds of other pro-life work with which many of our viewers are familiar. Why are they doing this? A lot of it obviously is connected with the, the cancel culture that comes against supporters of President Trump and critics of the Democrat Party. Party, and we're only going to get louder about that. We're not going to be silenced. Uh, this is an effort, this is not just an effort to silence me, but to so many of us. People are losing their jobs, as you know, because they stand for their conservative values. They stand up for their conscience. And, and so they're trying to do the same within the church to priests like me. It's not going to work. The social media post is just an excuse. They've given me 21 years of excuses. It's always shifting sands. Yeah. It's always changing goalposts, uh, as you can well appreciate. Well, um, let me ask one question, Father Pavone. I know your work, and you've done such amazing work over the years. But were you asked at one point to become a parish priest, and you declined? Did that actually occur? Oh, absolutely. That's how this started. The reason I say 21 years is that in 2001, Cardinal Egan, after I had led Priests for Life for, for eight years and also served at the Vatican for two of those years in the pro-life office under John Paul II, he said, oh, I want you to go do parish work. Well, there was an uproar from the people. There wasn't only an objection from me. His office got inundated. And Priests for Life at that time was only a fraction of the size that we are now. And, and people said, why can't a priest devote himself full-time to defending the unborn and ending abortion? I'm convinced that's part of my vocation. My vocation is to be a priest and to be a full-time pro-life leader, and I don't intend to right, walk but away. Not, but as a priest, wanna... yeah, but as a priest, Father Pavone, you, you have to go where the church tells you to go, correct? I mean, I know a lot of priests well, who didn't want to change parishes, but they were told oh, you have yes. to go to, you know, an inner city parish. But we, we don't want to get into all the minutiae because it's confusing. I got to ask you one other question, though, because you say you want to appeal this, but they say there is no appeal process for what just happened. So what do you do? If, if the pope signs off on something, what they mean is there's nobody in the church above the pope. We all understand that. But that doesn't mean there's no way to change this. The pope himself can reverse it. The next pope can reverse it. Uh, and the people, and I'm appealing to the people of God to continue working with us and show the support for this work of saving lives and healing hearts. If the pope closes the door on me, Laura, I'm going to be right there on the other side of that door waiting for it to open again. I'm not going to a different church. I'm a loyal Catholic. I'm a loyal priest. And uh, this is this is not going to last because this is against all of us. And it's a cancel culture in the church. It's got to be exposed and it's got to be resisted. Yeah, it is. And meanwhile, Father James Martin, he gets, you know, meetings with the Pope, and he obviously is a fairly radical guy out there, and no problem there. Father, right. we really appreciate, we appreciate you, and we're going to be following this story very closely. Thank you so much. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News' YouTube page and catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. You will not get it anywhere else. While conservatives are worried about what's happening with the, you know, the religion and the church and, and bending over backwards to, to appeal to these fringe groups, you also have uh, members of the Republican Party who are conservatives by nature, who, you know, express within their party platform a belief in God and and and, and the rights of, of of people to express themselves. And one of those uh, rights is is what is being lost in these United States right now because of certain policies that are being pushed by certain groups. Now, 
I'm not gonna, you know, just just go too deeply into this whole thing at this point in time, but essentially, if you listen to what Rand Paul is saying here on the particular issues of the power of the purse, which is what Congress is supposed to do, the president, the executive branch makes proposals, they execute the law. They're the ones who come out and say, okay, this is what we want to do. These are the programs we have in store. This is how we want to do things. Now, uh, you know, this, this is the budgets we need. Now, it is the job of Congress to go forward and say, all right, uh, this is the budget you request from the taxes of the people. And therefore, uh, as the, the holders of the purse strings of government, uh, we now come forward and, and we decide and we debate and we come forward with, with what spending is supposed to be there and what is supposed to be authorized uh, within budgetary allocations. That's why you have a House of Representatives that lays out budgets and, and looks at the programs and sees how you know money of the people is supposed to be spent. And then you have the Senate, which looks into the legalities of the spending and seeing how it is, you know, in accordance with law and in the proper procedures. And that, you know, it's not being ripped off by somebody and, and you know, uh, snorted up the nose of Hunter. So, you know, you, you have all of these things that the people are concerned about and they look at. And as I said, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky was talking about it. Sadly, I wish Rand Paul was the majority leader. In, in the Senate right now, uh, but unfortunately, because of this unity and this loyalty, and as I like to call him, the traitor McConnell, you you have uh, these rhinos who essentially uh, you know pretend to be Republicans, but we don't even know what they are. They're, they're not acceptable to Democrats. The vast majority of Republicans don't like them, but but unfortunately, in their states, they ran as Republicans. So you have like you know these uh, Mitch McConnells who don't really do much for the American people, but do everything they can do for their father-in-laws to get loans from the Chinese Communist Party's own banks. Yeah, that's Mitch McConnell. That's basically what it does. And of all things, Trump's biggest mistake was appointing Elaine Chow as, you know, the trade minister. Bow, wow, wow, chow, chow, chow. That's basically what it was all about. Uh, they put in Chow, they, they, they put her in there, and basically she just followed the leash that was around her neck by her parents. And, and followed whatever was out there. I'm not saying she's not a nice person. I'm not saying she's not intelligent. But at the end of the day, she put her family ahead of country. Uh, you know, she didn't scrutinize certain things when it came to uh, business dealings. And essentially, Elaine Chow is just as bad as Grace Meng here in New York City. You know, so you've got to look at all of these things. And, and this is the sad reality for, for many Asian American politicians within the United States, especially those who have ties to the People's Republic of China, is that they seem to want to listen and care more about what the Chinese Communist Party is doing than, say, the Republican or the Democrat Party. In their mindset, that is who they serve and not the American people, not the people who elected them. They, 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 they think of it as a, as a fight them. You know, once they get the blessing from the, from the people that they rule and they decide and they tell the people what to do. Every year they come back to the people every election time and, and try and get that mandate, that vote to be able to do that. But that's not how democracy works. Democracy is, in, in, in a particular case of Grace Meng, uh, you know, you represent the people in your district and she does not represent the people in her district. Uh, at the end of the day, she represents whoever owns her. And that's that's basically the reality. The same with Elaine Child, the same with Mitch McConnell. Anyway, here's Rand Paul talking about what exactly is happening with the spending and the budgets right now being allocated in the Senate in this omnibus spending bill that is basically being 
laughingly referred to or jokingly referred to or actually cryingly referred to as the omnibus corruption bill that is coming out of the Biden White House and all the kickbacks and fringe benefits and pork that is just essentially packed into this bill that is being used for, again, more political rewards and benefits to keep the country's elite in meat. Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. Senator Paul, God bless you for your uh, your uh, opposition to this. You know, look, you think Steve Moore's crazy? I mean, the 2010 PAYGO caps are still the law. They get avoided every year. You only need 41 Republicans because Democrats would need 60 votes to waive the caps. Why not try that <laughs> instead of this crazy omnibus? Well, I have bad news for you. The good news is I'm for it. I've tried it before. I've introduced it. And we've had the vote. The bad news is this, is that last time I tried it, there were four votes, me and three others. <laughs> this, this brings upon us the lie that Republicans really are fiscally conservative. The Democrats aren't. They will not pretend to be fiscally conservative. Not one of them up here gives a darn about the debt. Republicans all profess to, but when you make them vote on the PAYGO resolution, pay-as-you-go, that we can't have new spending without offsetting it, they always vote to exempt it. So the omnibus will be 3,000 pages. We'll get it two hours before they want to pass it. No one will read it. But hidden in the 3,000 pages will be, we're going to waive PAYGO. So Steve Moore's right, it would take 41 votes. But the other thing is, 41 votes would stop the big spending. If 41 of us said no and held our ground until there was a compromise, we could force Democrats to reduce spending. We have completely and totally abdicated the power of the purse. Republicans are emasculated. They have no power, and they are unwilling to gain that power back. The only way they can get it, divide the spending into 12 bills, and then decide to hold one of them hostage or two of them hostage, and then apply policy changes in the House. But they've got to do it. They've got to capture this, and we'd have to do the budget the way it's supposed to be. Budget. 12 appropriation bills, and then try to attach some policy, like removing the 87,000 IRS agents from the IRS budget. When we try to do it in one bill, the Republicans don't have the intestinal fortitude. They always collapse, and they fear shutting government down so no policy objectives ever get added. The only way we can do it is if we actually do what we're supposed to do, budget, 12 appropriation bills, and then decide which ones you want to fight over. Regular order. Regular order. Exactly. That's all it takes. You're dead right, sir. And I'm just saying, you know, as a starter, the GOP, I mean, what do Republicans stand for? You know, this has something to do with the disappointing midterm election results. Are Republicans reliable? We need lower spending. We need less government. We need lower taxes and regulations. We need a growthier economy. You got Jay Powell in the Fed today, Senator. You, basically saying their restrictive policies are going to lead to recession next year. Fiscal policy, if it were growthier, would it might ameliorate those, might stop the inflationary wave, might stop the Fed from printing money, et cetera, et cetera. Where is the GOP? Why is this the, so hard? The other thing that people need to know is the pay-go may come up next week because it's a privileged motion. They can't stop it. It's a budgetary motion, and my understanding is that any one senator can bring that forward. So don't be surprised if you yeah. see that next week. But that's a good one to look at your Republican senator and see how they vote on the pay-go budget order. One other thing for your viewers, 
balancing the budget, how hard would it be if we passed 2019's budget, a budget from three or four years ago, if we pass that today, the budget would balance. That's how much spending has grown over the last three or four years. All the COVID spending is now built in. Nobody's going back towards the normal baseline. All that COVID spending's baked in and we're bankrupting the country and we're adding debt faster than we've ever added it in the history of the country. You know, that's such a good point. Um, last night, Kevin McCarthy made a similar point, Senator. He said the COVID spending is now being translated into um, essentially mandatory spending. So it goes on forever. That's, that's such an important point. It's another reason to stop this monstrosity. You know, I just, I know you don't want to talk against colleagues. Dick Shelby is a conservative. He has a conservative record down through the years, but he's just part of this. Uh, Senator Leahy has always been a left-wing Democrat. I understand this. I, you know, that it's like the word pay for, the word pay for has become some kind of Middle English 16th century word that no one ever uses anymore and that no one understands. We pay for but, nothing in Washington, D.C. Here's the interesting thing about it. 90 senators, Republican and Democrat, 90 out of 100, would probably tell you they hate the idea of an omnibus or a CR and that we should budget and have 12 different appropriation bills. 90 out of 100. And yet in the last 40 years, it's happened a few times. So, but all it takes is 41 people to stand up, be men and women, and say, no more, we're not going to do it, we've had enough, we're mad as hell, the deficit's eating us alive, inflation's eating us alive, and we're not voting for an omnibus. If 41 people did that next week, we have the power. We already have the power. Don't do it, and then you go back to the negotiating table, and at the negotiating table, you make them trim some spending. But realize what the Republicans are saying privately, this is a huge win for them because the Omni increases military spending 45 billion oh. above whatever else they had already increased it. So now you know that the U.S. military will get more money than the next 10 countries combined, and it's got to have conservative, conservative, fiscally conservative parameters added to the military as well. It can't be a blank check as well. You know, I tell you, I would take a government shutdown any day of the week, Senator. You know what else? I've kind of changed myself. I'm so frustrated over this. I, I, well, I don't know whether the debt limit is going to play into this or not. But if it meant, if it meant paying interest on 10-year bonds uh, two weeks late, if that meant pay-fors or pay-go or spending caps or regular order, I don't give a darn. I would, I would delay the debt. I would shut the darn government down. You know it doesn't well, shut Larry. down anyway. Imagine what would happen. What do you think the markets would do if my shutdown prevention bill passed? My bill says that if you're at an impasse and you don't pass any new spending, you spend 99% of what you spent last year for 90 days. If you have no agreement, you spend 98% of what you spent last year. I think the markets would stand up and cheer and say, mm -hmm. for once, we have some, some kind of fiscal sanity and rules in Washington. Yes, I think you're exactly right. I think markets would like that. And by the way, you know, fiscal restraint, budget restraint will help the Fed. I mean, the Fed's crunching down on the money supply. They're talking about a recession for next year. You know, I used to talk to your dad all the time about the flaws of Federal Reserve policy. And we had some great conversations about the need for sound money. But sound money should include a sound budget. 
and a sound fiscal situation, which is lost on the Congress, on the Senate, I, and the Republicans. That's what drives me crazy. You, you, you if also, I had any hair, also, I'd pull my hair out. I mean, where is the also, GOP? You also can't have sound money if you have an insane fiscal policy. Yes, right. So the reason we have unsound money is it is what gives the ability of Congress to spend money we don't have and borrow with a limitless, virtually limitless fashion. Congress can borrow and borrow. We've been borrowing for decades, and the Federal Reserve replaces that. But the other thing we've had is this wonderful, great idea, as long as it lasts, we're the reserve currency. So because we buy more than we sell, we export our inflation. Our, our biggest export is our dollars. Mm. Unfortunately, they don't come back that quickly. And so we spread our inflation to everybody else like a contagion, and we don't have to suffer the full effects of all the money we create. Senator Paul, please yell from the rooftops. Yell from the screen. For, I will back you 100%, actually, as I always have for that matter. We'll try to ride. Thanks, sir. Senator Rand Paul, fabulous stuff. Thank really you. sensible, fabulous stuff. Nice thing there. I picked up uh, off of Larry Kudlow on uh, Fox Business. Yeah, Fox still has some pretty good coverage of things and events and people and places and conservative spending and, and, and all these things that Republicans should be doing. But unfortunately, even when they win elections, sometimes they just fall apart when the money is flashed in front of us, as we've seen, sadly, in this particular case. Here is, of course, uh, another thing where people fall apart, and this is how school boards <coughs> need to do what they're supposed to do and keep things real. I'm Mike of New York. Let's listen in as I leave you with this. Hello, my name is Lindsey Graham, and I am a cat. Meow, meow. I'm not a woman dressed as a cat. I am a cat. By show of hands, I'm curious uh, how many of you believe and confess that I'm a cat. Great. I am, by show of hands, I'm curious how many of you believe that your child or a child from this school would believe that I'm actually a cat? No one. You are right. Why? Because you are not stupid, and these children are not stupid. Truth prevails over imagination. Reality exists. Discernment is innate and something we are biologically wired to have. One look at me, and you know this to be true. I am a woman posing as a cat. You may also think correctly that if I truly believe I'm a cat, I have a mental disorder. If I suffer from a mental disorder, and if I'm unable to discern reality, am I safe to be around children? Would you put me in charge of making critical decisions about the safety and well-being of children and about the direction of their education when I cannot even discern truth from fiction? Confession. I'm not actually a cat, guys, just because I say I am. You've not agreed to or committed to addressing me as a cat simply because I demand it. No tail, whiskers, or outfit makes me a cat. Just like no lipstick, high heels, or long hair makes him a man, a woman. It is just as biologically impossible for me to become a cat as it is for a man to be a woman. And you have one job as members of this school board, and it's defined as this. School board members are responsible for broad, forward-thinking, minute analysis and decisive action in all areas that affect students and staff in their schools. I ask you, do you believe that the actions of a grown man playing dress-up as a woman affects the students and staff positively or negatively? A public school is not the place for social experiments in altered realities or gender ideologies. It is not the place to celebrate a grown man with a mental illness, dressing as a woman, and teaching kids lies. 
Children come to school to learn facts and truths about reality, including unchanging biological truths about science and nature, not to learn that they can change biological realities and become anything they want in the name of diversity. What you're actually doing is worse than just lying to our kids. You're forcing them to be participants in your lie, in your charade. You're forcing them to deny what they see with their eyes and you're forcing them to speak lies. I ask you again, am I a cat? And if you say no, then the mindset must be aligned with your discernment across the board. By allowing a falsity to be displayed and paraded around the school, you teach children that truth is not existent, facts are not real, and biology is a lie. You fail at your job, your only job, by confusing children and teaching them untruths and to coddle a grown man playing dress up as a woman. If you were to address me as a cat right now, it's as ridiculous as when you say Miss Bixler and a grown man's voice comes thundering over the- Thank you. And so that's the latest for me for now. I'm Mike of New York, and uh, have a pleasant holiday season ahead as we continue to wow you with more content right here on the Mike of New York podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.